Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. And we start with a difficult but important question. Does California U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein, who's 88 and a giant of American politics, still have the mental fitness to do her job? Well, according to reporting by San Francisco Chronicle Washington correspondent Tal Copin, there are many instances of the senator's memory failing. Copin's reporting is based on conversations with four U.S. senators, including three Democrats, as well as former Senate staffers and a California Democratic member of Congress. All wish to remain anonymous because of the sensitivity of the issue. Here's Copin. The overriding theme was that Senator Feinstein's short-term memory is really increasingly problematic. Two of the senators I spoke with say there are times where they get the sense that she doesn't fully place who they are. And her Senate colleagues also all expressed a degree of concern, different degrees, that it's increasingly difficult for her to be doing the job of a senator. And it's a painful subject for many of them. There is a deep, deep reverence and respect for Senator Feinstein. I think in Washington and in California, no one I spoke with took any pleasure in having these conversations. Copen says Feinstein's office declined to talk to the Chronicle, but issued a statement on her behalf, saying in part that the senator is still serving and delivering for the people of California and that she'll put her record up against anyone's. Let's turn to the pandemic. A bill to tighten COVID-19 vaccination requirements for California school children has stalled in the state legislature. KQED politics reporter Guy Marsrati has more. Governor Gavin Newsom issued an executive order last year to require COVID vaccines in schools, but parents could opt their kids out for personal beliefs. Legislation from Sacramento Senator Richard Pan would have closed that exemption, like the state has done for the measles vaccine. But now Pan says until more kids have access to vaccines, quote, a statewide policy to require COVID vaccination in schools is not the immediate priority. The bill's failure to even get a vote comes with weeks after a bill to require COVID vaccines in workplaces met a similar fate. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarati. 
Now that many COVID restrictions have eased in California and all of us are figuring out how to live our lives going forward, we thought we'd check in with someone we first met at the very beginning of the pandemic. The California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin has that story. Remember early on in the pandemic when a cruise ship was redirected to the port of Oakland because of a COVID-19 outbreak on board? A bunch of passengers were eventually transferred to quarantine at Travis Air Force Base. And one of them was San Francisco resident Hinda Gilbert. It was a bridge cruise. So I'm a bridge player and I play a lot of tournaments, although I haven't in the last couple of years. I first spoke with Gilbert by phone a few days into her quarantine at the base southwest of Sacramento. The last place she probably could have ever expected she'd wind up when she booked her vacation. She had been hesitant before she left because there had already been a major COVID-19 outbreak on another Princess cruise ship, which stranded those passengers off the coast of Japan. I called up Princess and they were not going to give refunds at that point. So I decided that I would just go ahead with it, even though some of my friends and relatives didn't think it was a really good idea. Eventually, there would be more than 120 cases and six confirmed deaths linked to the COVID outbreak on her cruise. But Gilbert was lucky and has stayed healthy throughout the pandemic. We finally met in person recently and talked at her kitchen table in her home in San Francisco's Lower Pacific Heights. When she got home from quarantine, she was living in a completely different world, she says. And her formerly very active life had been upended. Basically, I stayed home and I do a lot of things like symphony, opera, ballet, plays, theater, uh, working out. I did nothing. She says she's lost weight because she just isn't eating as much as she used to. And she's lost strength because she isn't keeping the same exercise regimen she had a few years ago. Recently, she says, she went back and looked at her date books from the early 2000s. The difference between her life then and now is night and day, she says. I mean, I've traveled all over the world, not thinking twice about those trips. And so it's kind of depressing to think that maybe that part of my life is over. Gilbert says, though many people may think slowing down is natural for an 84-year-old, she's not ready to shift out of the active phase of her life yet. I don't really want to keep living this closeted life in a way where I'm not doing the things I love doing. She says she's going back to Pilates and physical therapy soon to regain her strength. The other thing I've been talking about doing is writing a book. In my prior life, I started and ran a software company. And after 15 years, I sold it to a publicly traded company. And I want to really write about that adventure. Gilbert says she often didn't get credit for her work as a young female in her field. And she thinks she has some valuable lessons of resilience she could share. And I think if I can get myself focused where I feel I'm, I'm doing something, not just existing, even if we go through some periods of more COVID, and that I'll feel like I'm accomplishing something. For The California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin in San Francisco's Pacific Heights.
Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. The California Task Force Studying Reparations for the Descendants of Enslaved Africans has approved its report on why reparations are necessary. KQED's Annalise Finney has more. The report will be the first government-issued document to examine anti-Black racism in more than 50 years. At the task force meeting this week, member Donald Tamaki said he hopes the report creates a model others will follow. I think the report will be looked upon nationally. But some people in the audience were hesitant to celebrate so soon. I think what is important or more relevant is what is the state going to actually enact. So having a report that doesn't actually lead to legislation that becomes actual repair is fruitless. That's community activist Friday Jones, who came up from L.A. to attend the meeting in person. Over the next year, the task force turns to perhaps the harder question. What form should reparations take? It's expected to recommend a plan to the state legislature in the summer of 2023. For the California Report, I'm Annalise Finney in San Francisco. In environmental news, state regulators are recommending that the western Joshua tree not be designated as a threatened species. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi has the story. The western Joshua tree was given interim protection under the California Endangered Species Act in 2020, after the Center for Biological Diversity filed a petition claiming trees were likely to become endangered because of climate change. But on Wednesday, the Department of Fish and Wildlife issued its own report recommending against listing the trees as endangered. It reads like a document that was written by lawyers for the fossil fuel industry rather than the Newsom administration, which purports to be playing a leadership role in climate change. That's Brendan Cummings with the Center for Biological Diversity. Cummings says scientific modeling has shown that if temperature changes continue on the current trajectory, nearly the entire species would be knocked out in its namesake Joshua Tree National Park by the end of the century. A final decision by the Fish and Game Commission is expected in June. For the California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi. It can be hard to imagine anything living in the deepest and darkest depths of the world's oceans, but the seafloor can teem with life. That ecosystem, though, is under threat from climate change and plastic pollution. And a new threat now looms, deep sea mining. As we hear from reporter Erica Mahoney, a new exhibit at the Monterey Bay Aquarium aims to show why the deep sea should be protected. The new exhibit is called Into the Deep, Exploring Our Undiscovered Ocean. Beth Redmond Jones helped create the exhibit. She says there's so much to learn about the deep sea. 
The deep sea is one of the most unexplored places on the planet. We know more about space than we know about the deep sea. The exhibit takes visitors on a journey from the ocean surface down to the seafloor. Mesmerizing music and dim lights set the mood. Along the way, you get to meet some of the exquisite animals that live in the deep sea, like giant spider crabs from Japan and the bloody belly comb jelly found in Monterey Bay. It shimmers neon colors. Growing up, people always said that the deep sea was scary and there's like these alien animals and this kind of thing, and they're not. There's really quite an elegance and a beauty to them that people don't necessarily expect. The Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute collected most of the animals. Just beyond Monterey's coastline is a deep sea canyon. So if you think about the size of the Grand Canyon, that's how big that one is. So the deep is right here. Some of the animals have never been on display before. Others are brand new to science, discovered during the exhibit's creation. The goal is to share the beauty of the deep sea and raise awareness about the threats it faces, like overfishing, microplastics, and deep sea mining. That's the process of extracting minerals and metals from the sea floor, including copper and cobalt. Some companies are after these raw materials to make cell phones and batteries for electric vehicles to support renewable technology. They hope to begin mining in a couple years, but scientists are sounding the alarm. It destroys entire communities of animals, as well as the habitat that they're in. Amy Wolfram is an ocean policy expert for the aquarium. She says deep sea mining removes the seafloor and creates toxic plumes of sediment that can travel tens to hundreds of miles in the water. All of the animals in the new exhibit would be at risk. So the deep sea corals that are just so beautiful and so interesting to look at. And these animals live for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And some people compare them to the redwoods of the ocean. That's why the aquarium supports a California bill that would ban seabed mining in state waters, something Washington and Oregon have already done. Assemblymember Luz Rivas from the San Fernando Valley introduced the legislation. So in California, you know, recreation, tourism, and the fishing industries together are valued at more than $27 billion annually, right? So I think a threat like seabed mining, it's not just the ecological danger, it's also economic threat to these coastal communities. Companies including Google, Samsung, BMW and Volkswagen support a moratorium on deep sea mining and pledge to explore alternative sources. As the Monterey Bay Aquarium's new exhibit illuminates, the ocean provides the food we eat, serves as the planet's largest carbon sink, and is home to some remarkable wildlife. For the California Report, I'm Erica Mahoney in Monterey. And that is the California Report for this Friday, April 15th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin, Danny Bringer, and Brendan Willard, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Tobin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. Have a good day and weekend. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. 
fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. The James Irvine Foundation, accepting nominations now for the 2023 James Irvine Foundation Leadership Awards at irvineawards.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 